We're going to come and uh, read the Bible together now, and then Tim is going to come and speak uh, about this subject of, I have some good news for you. Uh, So let's look at uh, this passage in Luke, and uh, the words and uh, the story of Jesus in Luke 14. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Lord, we pray for us now that we would receive the word that you have for each of us. And for those of us who are here, perhaps just investigating faith and looking at faith, maybe even for the first time, we pray that you would give us wisdom and you would teach us by your word through Tim this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we have you to guide us and open our eyes to what you want to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everybody. As we begin, I'm going to ask for a blatant uh, show of hands in a moment. Some might refer to this as age discrimination. Uh, You may or may not know, before we moved to Birmingham, uh, we lived in a place called Surbiton. And Surbiton has a great affection for me, but also for Judy, actually. Judy was born there, grew up in Surbiton, so the leadership Riverside had great empathy and heart with Surbiton because the good life was set in Surbiton because Surbiton was deemed to be a snapshot. If you wanted the good life, you gotta be in Surbiton. And actually the church uh, I was involved in uh, was in a road, right next to a road called The Avenue, which is where the good life was set, interestingly, did you know? It wasn't filmed there, apparently it's filmed in North London, but who knows. But it was most famous for these two couples living next door to each other, Tom and Barbara, and Jerry and Margot, and Tom and Barbara were basically exploring this good life in an area of nice houses and comfort and sort of the middle class utopia. Tom and Barbara were seeking a different path and wanting to grow their own food, you know, bringing up chickens, having, not bringing up chickens, you know, rearing chickens and having goats and making their own clothes. In other words, aiming for a sustainable living in the middle of suburbia, aiming for the good life. Now the reason for mentioning that, whether you think good life is available through sustainability or through a lovely house or through a career or whatever it may be, is that if you've been around churches for a while, like me, I grew up in a church context, 
This isn't just a trip down memory lane because I grew up thinking that there was no such thing as this good life. That actually people who were kind of seeking this, there was a God-shaped hole in all of us. And so even if you could find the good life where you're bringing up goats and not bringing up goats, I won't say, say that anymore, <laughs> that actually deep down when all of that is stripped away, there's an ache, a God-shaped hole. And having lived in Surbiton, but Surbiton is not unique, I have questions about whether everybody does have that God-shaped hole. And that certainly backs up with some research today. There's a great quote, fascinating quote by an author, Francis Spufford, who says these words, most people today don't have a God-shaped space in their minds waiting to be filled. Most people's lives provide them with a full range of loves and hates, joys and despairs, and a moral framework by which to transcend them and a place for awe and transcendent without any need for religion. And the research backs this up. As a staff team, we've been looking recently uh, about Generation Z, or iGen, as they're sometimes called, which is basically those born from the late 90s onwards. And it used to be that there was, you know, over the last few decades in the UK, people have been gradually moving away from institutional religion. And there was a thought for a while that people are moving away from institutional religion but are still very spiritual and there's spirituality and new age stuff and all that. But in a research that's been done recently that has shifted, here's a quote, spiritual but not religious has instead now become not spiritual and not religious. For a good generation and a good chunk of people in our culture, both in Surbiton and in Birmingham, one would imagine, the generation and other generations is less religious and less spiritual, publicly and privately, and strikingly different from previous generations when they were young. The research shows that the move away from religion is no longer piecemeal, small, or uncertain. It is large and definitive. A generation is here that is thoroughly secular, disconnecting completely from religion and spirituality and the larger questions of life. In other words, for many people today and many new people growing up, the big questions just don't feature. The God-shaped hole is not as obvious to many as we think. And so as we continue this series, I have some good news for you. We've been looking over the last number of weeks about questions that are posed of Christianity both from people who are Christians and from people who aren't. If this is good news, well, there's some questions we want to ask of it. Uh, and we're continuing this series for a few weeks as we've been doing it before Easter, and now we're continuing it for a few more weeks because there's one or two other questions we want to ask. And today's is this question. Life is sweet, so why do I need God? My life is good. I've found the good life. It may not be having goats, or making my own clothes, but actually, life is sweet, why do I need God? Thank you very much. Now, I want to, as we get into this, say that I think that there are all sorts of questions that people are grappling with, and so for whether you call it the God-shaped hole or not, I think for some, that is still very real. For others, they may not be looking in spiritual directions or whatever, but there is a sense of lacking, wanting something other, 
But regardless of that, whether that is true for the people you know, whether that is true for you or not, for those who right at the moment say, life is sweet, I don't need God, what does Jesus have to say? Is there good news in this? And the passage that was read to us, I think has some very telling things for all of us, whether we would call ourselves followers of Jesus or not. And the first thing is this uh, in the passage we looked at. Firstly, it's worth getting our bearings right. What do we mean by the sweet life? If you say your life is sweet, what about it is sweet? If you found the good life, it's not just the goats or chickens, it's not just the job, what is it that you mean? What, what, what is a sweet life? And Jesus' words and this passage from the book of Luke are telling for us, let's read again. Someone in a crowd speaks up to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? A man comes to Jesus, Jesus, I want my brother to be equal on our inheritance. And Jesus characteristically tries to get beneath the question. Why are you asking me, he says. What's behind your question? And then Jesus very, very helpfully slowly unpicks the question and might I suggest for all of us, begins to unpick what we might mean by the good life or a sweet life. Look at what he says. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We've got this man who basically is coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I want some more wealth. Give me my inheritance. Jesus begins to unpick it saying, watch out, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're basing your life on that, watch out. He makes no comment about the equality of this investment or this inheritance. It may be that the man is absolutely right. He needs this inheritance and the brother is tight-fisted and not giving it. Who knows? Jesus is saying that's irrelevant. There's another question beneath it. Your life is sweet, but what is it about it that makes it so? What is the God in your life? What is it that if it was taken away, your life would suddenly stop being sweet? Now this man, it's clear, it's wealth, isn't it? And Jesus says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now let's be real about this. A certain level of financial comfort does make life feel more comfortable, doesn't it? It does make on the surface life sweeter, But of course, Jesus is not saying that. What he's saying is, if that is taken away, what then? And this was made obvious in the financial crash a few years ago. Did you know that in the financial crash, Marks and Spencers reported that as a direct result, sales of Y-fronts went ballistic? (laughs) Why? Why? Yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. Because in a culture where the things you've been depending on are no longer trustworthy, you need something that will give you support and comfort. (laughs) Why fronts are the answer. But of course, it's not just kind of physical comfort, why fronts are better. There's something deeper they were reflecting that in an era of uncertainty, People need something deeper, something more trustworthy, something perhaps about their past that just gives them that bolstering, that sense of security. 
Say, why, friends? Obviously. Jesus is saying that sweet life, what is it about it that makes it sweet that you say, yeah, my life's all good, and what then if that goes? This man thinks it's wealth, but for others of us, it may be all sorts of things. It may be wealth, it may be our jobs. As long as I've got this, all is sweet. Great, good on you, it's a good thing, fantastic. You found a career you're interested in, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But what happens if that went? Or our health, great, if you're healthy, fantastic. But what if the test results aren't good? If that's the barometer of how you get a sweet life, well, what then? Uh, all our health will falter at some point. Or our relationships. If, if this is the basis of a sweet life, if, if my marriage is all sweet, or if I just find this partner, all will be good. And my generation has grown up, the Jerry Maguire generation, you complete me. That if we can just find the one, all will be amazing for the rest of our lives. Jesus is basically saying no one person, no one thing can bear the responsibility, the weight of God. If you make a person, a thing, whether it be a bank balance, your health, your career, a God in your life, it will let you down. Watch out, says Jesus. That thing that makes our life sweet, is it dependable? That's what Jesus is asking. And he shows a different way, that there is a sweeter life even than the sweetness that we may be experiencing now, or the sweetness that we long for. And he goes on therefore to ask, explore, what do we mean by true sweetness? How do we find true sweetness then? If life doesn't consist in an abundance of things or possessions, or if it isn't about just getting the right career or the right relationship or our health is sweet or whatever it might be, if it's not about that, that there's something else that is more dependable, what is that? Jesus tells a parable, and it's fascinating how it begins, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now for that culture, they would have got this picture of this man as being somebody truly blessed by God. Why? Because he's rich. In that culture, if you were wealthy, that means that you've got those blessings from God. And so therefore God is looking with favor on you. And not only is this man just rich, where does he get his wealth from? The ground, it's not even to do with him. It's crops, in other words, God has looked with favor on this man and all the audience listening to Jesus would have said, wow, what a guy, that is a blessed man. That is a man whose life is sweet. He's got an abundant harvest, all good. But what's noticeable is what the man does. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I've got this good life. I've got to make sure I keep it, so I'll build barns. In effect, I've got to make sure this sweet life, which is based on my circumstances, keeps on being sweet. So I'll build barns and so on. What Jesus is revealing very, very gently is that here is a man for whom the goodness of his life, the sweetness of his life is entirely dependent on his circumstances. He presumed that as long as I can keep my wealth, 
all will be good. So I need to build bigger barns. Now I don't think Jesus is saying anything about whether it's good or not to have good crops. That's not his point. He's saying these are not God things. If the center of your life, the reason that it's good is your circumstances, you've elevated circumstances to the position of God and they will only let you down. And for some of us, we know there's things that we long for in our lives and if we're honest, we've elevated those to a God. If only I could have that, all would be great. In other words, life is dependent on our circumstances. And of course that leads to challenges. So for example, for those in a relationship that they've thought this is all about the one, and then suddenly that the one annoys them or they get into difficult times or it becomes a challenge. It's not just an emotional challenge. There's something way deeper going on because it was all about this person. And now they've discovered they're just the frail, weak human like all of us. Or, or if that job, if I just get that career path, if I can only get accepted to that program, if I only get those exam results, all will be good. And then when you get there and it's not quite what you thought and it begins to reveal that actually we'd elevated it to a position of a God. This became clear to us a little while ago with a friend of ours diagnosed with a very serious illness and couldn't even speak about it to anybody. Because for her, her health meant everything and therefore suddenly it was in threat and therefore it wasn't just her physical stuff that was being grappled with, it was the whole reason for existing. Jesus says there's something different. If we build the quality of our life on our circumstances, we will only be let down. So where do we go to find out a different path? Well, I think when you turn to the other places in the New Testament, you find some interesting words, and we're gonna to turn to Philippians chapter four. Because here, the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, says some startling words for all of us, and I think some of the most challenging words for our culture. Whether we are a follower of Jesus or not, these are really important words. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. If you're anything like me, when you go through those things and they, and they let you down, you know, your job doesn't quite work out or, or, or you don't get the house you want or the, the career, the exam results are not quite how you thought it would be or that partner hasn't worked out. The way we deal with it is we sort of say, well, look over there, that person over there, they've got it way worse than you. Thank God, goodness you're not there. And so we say, well, you know, at least I've got a roof over my head. What about those people that haven't? Or at least I've got a job, whether or not I find it fulfilling. Or at least I, I, I've got some friends, whether or not they're the best mates ever. At least I'm in a school. <laughs> at least I get education like some people in the world. And we therefore base entirely on our circumstances. 
and we just say other people in, have less circumstances than us, Phew, aren't I fortunate? Whereas Paul is saying provocatively, he has found the secret of contentment regardless of circumstances, even if there is nothing in any and every situation. That is a huge challenge. Where do you find the good life? Contentment. And Paul's pretty obvious, pretty blatant where he says it, the last verse. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Who is he talking about? Well, he's just said it in verse seven of chapter four. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is being in Christ Jesus that transcends all understanding, giving you that deep peace, regardless of whether circumstances work out. So even if your life is sweet right now, it is possible to have the sweet life even if those circumstances are taken away. Or even if that thing that you just long for, if that never happens, it is possible to have peace beyond all understanding in Christ Jesus. So if your bank balance suddenly goes to zero, it is possible even there to find contentment and peace. If your health really does fail, it is possible to find peace and contentment. If your friends let you down, if those closest to you aren't what they, you thought they would be, even there it's possible, says Paul, to find contentment and peace in Christ Jesus. That is good news. And I know right now in the room, there are some people who are going through some really horrific, horrendous, difficult times. And you may not know this, but because you follow Jesus, other people around you are able to observe a peace and a poise that you may not see that there is the depth of contentment even in your pain that others are able to observe because you're in Christ Jesus. And friends, can I say there are some in this room right now, you know there is things that you are longing for, you've prayed long and hard for, tears have come streaming down your face for years. And Jesus this morning says there is a peace beyond understanding that is regardless of whether that thing happens or not. In Christ Jesus. That's good news. That is a sweet life because it means you don't go through life resting on your circumstances. A few years ago, Claire and I uh, were grappling with some stuff, um, uh, praying for years about something and we, uh, uh, reflected on some words from Psalm 73. Let me read these to you, and I wonder if these are particularly relevant for one or two people here. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a sweet life. That makes God look incredible because it's not based on circumstances. And our prayer at that time, God, you are enough. 
And I wonder if for some here this morning, you may not be a follower of Jesus and you'd say life is pretty good at the moment, but you know deep down there are things in your life that if they were taken away, everything would really crumble. There is an invitation this morning from Jesus to discover a truly sweeter life where your peace, your poise is not based on those circumstances, a deep inner peace that's beyond understanding. That's good news. So how does Christ bring to peace? How? Well, we return to Jesus' story. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. Remember the man building bigger barns to try and keep his sweet life? Then we read some deeply challenging words. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Very challenging words. Because Jesus reveals a true sweetness, a truly good life that really lasts. Because most of how we define the good life, whether it be having goats in Surbiton, or whether it be a certain career path, or a certain relationship status, or a certain financial bank balance, or a certain health, they're temporary. And Jesus says the truly sweet life is not temporary. It lasts. Verse 20, you fool, God says to this man, because this very night your life will be demanded from you. Simply, man, you're basing it on finances. Tonight you're going to die. Where are your finances there? And of course, those words are provocative. A fool, says Jesus. He's basically saying, if we depend on our circumstances for any sense of well-being in life, we're on shaky ground because they are not dependable. Because we all die. The healthiest bank balance in the world will not get you through death. The strongest relationship, the strongest marriage won't get you through death. Having that ideal partner, that ideal friendship won't get you through death. Having the most fulfilling job won't get you through death. Having the buffest body in the world won't get you through death. Jesus is saying, not using those exact words. (laughs) They may be very good things, but they're not God. And therefore they can't take the weight and they will only let you down. There's someone greater, someone higher, with more authority over your life than even those circumstances. And do you notice what Jesus says? Your life will be demanded from you. There's a higher power even over those circumstances, someone bigger, stronger, more trustworthy, which is why Jesus says at the very end of the parable, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but isn't rich towards God. In other words, if you've made God anything else other than God, it will let you down. Which is why if you look in Luke, the very next verse says, therefore don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. Why? Because suddenly your life is not based on those things. You're trusting in the God who's got you in his arms. The God who made you, the God who knows you, the higher power, the God who has control over your life. 
Therefore, you can chill out and relax, whatever. Give you these circumstances, Lord. You know my heart, but I trust you. That's good news. And that's why Paul says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus regardless of those circumstances. Friends, that is good news. That's good news regardless of whether you're here today thinking I'm hunky-dory, thanks. Because there will come a day where those things that make your life hunky-dory will fail you. Or whether we've come this morning and actually life is a real challenge. In those circumstances, we're able to discover a greater peace, a greater poise, a greater sense of strength and comfort regardless of our circumstances. That's good news. May we believe it, may we cling on to it. Can I invite you to stand? Please stand. As a response to this, we're going to turn to communion. And so I'd love to invite the team that are uh, um, going to be serving to go and prepare themselves. And I'm very simply going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray in two ways. Firstly, for those here for whom you know there are things in your life that, that mean more to you than they perhaps should, <laughs> I'm simply going to ask God to give you that peace beyond understanding. But also there may be just one or two people here that you know actually your life is okay, but actually God doesn't feature at all. And you know that if certain things were removed, life would crumble. And this morning you've heard that invitation of Jesus to simply put your hand in his. And I'm gonna simply pray for you that you'd find that peace beyond all understanding. So let's pray together, let's pray. Father, in the stillness, thank you that there is peace in Jesus, regardless of circumstances. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, for those who need that peace, that you would bring it. As we come to communion, what we're about to do is simply remembering that Jesus died for us in our place and then rose up from death and therefore we know that this isn't just words, that actually Jesus has got through death and therefore is trustworthy. And so therefore we can put our hands in his because we realize that he can guarantee that peace today and for eternity. And so Father, please bring peace, we pray, for those in this room who need it right now to know that a good life is entirely not dependent on circumstances, but is found in Jesus. Come, Lord, we pray. Amen.